Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today I am privileged to be joined by Roy and Leah Neuberger, the protagonist of the brand new Art Scroll book from Sinai to Yerushalayim. Thank you to the Neubergers for being here. What a treat it is. Rabbi Hissiger, this is a tremendous simcha for us to be here. Thank you. I know, I know it's a dream come true for you. It's a dream come true. That your life story has been put into writing and is being published by Art Scroll. Um, Amazing. I know you're thrilled about it. We've spoken so many times about thrilled. this book. And, uh, and I'm excited that other people are going to be able to get to yeah. experience your story. Yeah. Which, before we even get started, this story was put into writing by the one and only Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, who's just magnificent. His work is magnificent. I know you think so as well. As I've been going through the book, I can't get over the way he's able to richly capture stories. And uh, one thing I will tell the viewers out there, if they pick up this book, they will not be able to put it down. It's a great story. It's a beautiful book. A beautiful book. It's entertaining and inspiring at the same time. Uh, what, what could you say about Reb Nachman's talent? So, I had a thought, Rabbi Hissiger, and maybe it's a little wild, but I, don't know, I have wild thoughts sometimes. And when I daven, I, I like to think about the words I'm saying, which I think is a good thing. I think it's called kavana. Anyway, I try. And it's not what well, was so easy. There's one brach in Shemona Esrei that over many years, has, 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 I don't say bothers me, but I, didn't, I wanted to understand it. It's the bracha to kabba shofar gadol l'cheruseinu v'saneis l'kabetz aneis, that Hashem is going to send a neis, a sign, before the Gula Shalema that, all, that will bring all the Jews together back home, spiritually, physically, in whatever way. Well, I thought to myself, what is this? I want to know what is this nace. I want to know what kind of sign is Hashem going to put into the world that's going to just, all of a sudden the Jews will know, this is it, this is it. And as we were involved in this book and got to know Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, Hatzadik, an amazing, amazing person. I'm davening one day, and I'm saying this bracha, and all of a sudden I look at this word nes, and I have, you'll tell me if it's a crazy thought or not, but Rashi Tevos nes Nachman Seltzer. There you go. Nachman <laughs> Seltzer. And what does that mean? It's not really a crazy thought, because the kind of books that Rabbi Seltzer writes reach out to Jews across the world and Hashem is going to send a real sign and it's going to be visible to Jews across the world and it's going to be an instrument to bring us back spiritually, physically, in every way. I do, I do think you bring up a wonderful point. It's amazing. The books that Rabbi Nachman has written, they, they bring pe people closer to the Rabbani Shalom. They do. They bring people closer to each other. And uh, so that's an interesting simon. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> and we'll go with that. Now, this book, for those who have not read it yet, they want to know what it is. They know that it's about your life story. But in a, <coughs> nu in a nutshell, how would you describe, either of you describe what that life story is? It's a story of return. What, what is it? Who it's, should, it's who should talk? I'll say a few words. Say. It's definitely a story of return. Aye. 
in our case, we, we, it wasn't returning to what we'd grown up with because we grew up with, with no Yiddishkeit at all. We had no idea what it really means to be a Jew. And we felt that emptiness. Everyone, I think, could learn a lot from this, and that is that you could have every material thing. You could have a great secular education. You could have wonderful family. And that emptiness inside that I felt growing up, how do I know what's right? How do I know what's wrong? I want to be a good person. I want to live for more than just myself, just material things. You get one thing, and then you want the next thing, and you're never satisfied. And then we met at a very young age, and my husband <coughs> was really miserable with this thought that, mm -hmm. that he couldn't bear to have such a life. And together, we searched, and we searched for so many years to find the truth, and, and everyone who is from should know. We explored everything, every lifestyle, every religion. We were major students. We studied and studied and studied. And there is nothing out there except Torah. Torah is it. It's the mm -hmm. truth and it's beautiful. And, and just a, a, a thought of, of, um, of, of how, you know, I, I, think, I think when you see sometimes people going away from it who grew up from, I think that, that the best way to reach such people is, is love and warmth and no mm -hmm. pressure, mm -hmm. no pressure to come back. Now what I just think, what I think just to interject story. for a second, I think what's unique about your story of, when we, when we say return, obviously we mean return to your roots. Yeah, of you course. Return to, of course. To, to, you know, to Yiddishkeit and to tell yeah, yeah. Yiddishkeit. What's unique about your story, I think, is that many people, many Chayzer <coughs> B'tshuva, people who grew up not from and later became from, did so and then met their life partner later on. Both of you, you met, you met each other in high school, yes. correct? Yeah. We did. Yeah, yeah. You were friends in high school and you went on this journey together. Talk about that and how that worked. It's, you know, I'm sure people wonder what happens if one person is ahead of the other, one person is thinking differently than the other. Were you always on the same page in this journey? This is, it's an amazing story of <clears throat> how Hashem reaches out to us even when we don't know He exists. I mean, I want to emphasize that we grew up in this very affluent culture. We had wonderful parents, role models in many ways, in Derek Herod's role models. We had a comfortable lifestyle. We had what is considered the American dream. We had quote-unquote everything. I mean, somehow, my mother's maiden name was Salant. We didn't know what Salant meant when we were growing up, but my mother was a Salanter. She was a Musardika personality. And there's something that I inherited from her which made it impossible to survive mentally, spiritually, even physically in that environment where there was no Hashem. I couldn't do it. And, and so I started searching from a very young age. When my wife and I met in high school, Hashem was just somehow bringing together two halves of a whole. And um, we, we are very different in personality. I mean, I'm in very intense a little nutty person. No, just intense. <laughs> just <laughs> intense. I mean, but my wife 
keeps me normal. I mean, it's Azer Connecto. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? And somehow, this combined, and I was was the one who was more searching, like even frantically searching for a spiritual truth, so I could breathe. Mm. I mean, I felt I felt like a, a spiritual slave. And 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 my wife kept me within the bounds of normalcy. Thank God. What was and, your reaction uh, when your husband starts embarking on this uh, uh, this uh, undertaking of this self discovery, and he has all these questions and <clears throat> concerns and this intensity, and and you're sitting there, you think you're 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 getting off to this. Uh, you know, pleasant, secular life without any limitations. No, but I really felt deeply that emptiness that something's missing in my life. So my husband, when we met, made me more intensely aware mm -hmm. of it, and we searched together, and the miracle is we always felt the same way every step of the way. Wow. We, we, we both were, were studying and studying, looking for the truth. We, you know, we, 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 the whole process, it miraculously, we we did together. We always are on the same page. It's really mm -hmm. a, such a bracha from Hashem. And can I know her today? Just <laughs> jumping ahead, and we're going to go back. But today you have a beautiful family, Hashem. children, Hashem. and Hashem. Anikach, right? Five five children. Yeah, can one son and four daughters. Can That's I know her? Right. All b'nei b'nei Yeah. So this is a story that the end Miraculous. the end people people know before they pick up the book. Uh, they know. Hashem. There's no secrets at the end. You you no you, secrets. you you created and built a beautiful mishpacha and, 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 and seeing tremendous nachas. Getting there is what this book is about. That that journey. Is it okay if I, I, I relate a specific incident? Yeah, of course. That I think is extremely relevant to the publication of this book. It's amazing. The fact is. When you look back in your life, you see Hashem is there. Every step of the way, every atom, every second is Hashem. You see how it all comes together. It is so remarkable. And, and, and actually, in, in, in response to your previous question, I just want to say that, you know, I think of a husband and wife. Rebbe Young Rice always said, it's not, you know, husband and wife looking in each other's eyes, but if they're looking together in the same direction. Rebbe Young Rice, your machatein is that. She became our, she, yes. be, she was our Torah teacher, and then she became our machatein. It's another amazing story. It's all in the book. That's how we met Rabbi Seltzer, by the way. When he did the Art Scroll book on Rebbe Young Rice, he interviewed us, and that's how we first got to know each other. But the biggest turnaround in our life, and our life wasn't, we had many difficult moments. There was a moment <clears throat> two and a half years after we were married, we were students at the University of Michigan. I was 23 years old. We, we had a marriage without Hashem, and I'm gonna say straight out, a marriage without Hashem, it, it can't work, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not a theory. We found out. And it was, I'm going to say very explicitly, blowing up, falling apart. Our whole life was blowing up. We didn't know how to fix it. I especially didn't know how to fix it because without Hashem, you can't fix it. And it's like a fire that, and Hashem, you know, 
could put out the fire, but if he's not there, he can't, you don't bring him into the house, it doesn't work. On January 10th, 1966, at 2 a.m., I woke up. We had been married about two and a half years, and I knew everything was collapsing, blowing up, it was all over, and without exaggeration, I'm not exaggerating, I feel as if, for me, <clears throat> I was on Memtesh, sorry to him, on the 49th level of, it was, at the bottom, was all over. I literally felt another minute, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna spend the rest of my life in a mental institution. I'm not exaggerating. Either something had to give, or that was gonna be what happened. But something gave, and Hashem rescued us. It was the most dramatic moment of my life, of our life. I had a thought in the middle of the night, maybe there is a God in the world. And somehow I never entertained this thought before in my life. And all of a sudden I saw there's a way out, something more powerful than I am that can save us. Was there something that triggered that thought? Was it yes. totally? What triggered that thought was total despair. Mm. It's like I really want to compare it to Mitzrayim being on Memtesh Aritumah. When you're at the bottom, sometimes you bounce. And that's what happened with Am Yisrael in Mitzrayim. And that's what happened on January 10th, 1966. I just want to make an amazing point, and this is the relevance to the book. Later on, I found out this is such a thing as Jewish months. I found out there are Jewish, the Jewish calendar. And I found out what day that was when that happened. It was the 18th of the month of Teves in 1966. Every year since then, without exaggeration around that time, I feel as if, I mean, you'll excuse me for saying it, but this is what I feel like a Malach came to us then and saved us. And like the Malach came back year after year. We had incredible miracles that happened. We had a car crash. Our car was totaled at 60 miles an hour on a major highway, and we walked out without a scratch. That was 14th of Teves. It was things happened that were not normal in this period of time. Rabbi Hissinger, I want you to know, 57 years to the day after January 10th, 1966, on the 18th of Teves of 5783 this year, this book went on the press at Art Scroll. Wow. <laughs> the, the Malach came back this year, and it's not just that. 57 years, it occurred to me, is three times 19. Every 19 years, this calendrical cycle is that the English and Hebrew dates coincide. Mm -hmm. This is the third time since 1966 that the, that the English and Hebrew dates coincide. That is the day when this book went on the press at Art Scroll, and I can't help but think that this is just so clearly, obviously, part of the same miracle that's playing out before our eyes. Did you have an epiphany like your husband also <laughs> that, that day when it just, whether it came from despair so, uh, or from so inspiration? So I felt it also, you know, we really, it's like we're one heart and, and I felt what he was going through and I felt that, wow, you know, like, wow, I felt hope also from it. We, everything that, one of us experienced, we both experienced, somehow mm -hmm. that's how we are. And I, I must stress what a miracle it is that we started to believe in God. Growing up, we had all Jew just about all Jewish friends. 
No one believed in God. We were in totally secular circles. We never met anyone in our life, not only that weren't Shomer Shabbos, we never met any, we never heard of Shabbos, we never heard of Yeshiva, but we never had met anyone who even believed in God. Mm -hmm. and, and so we were like big intellectuals, <laughs> honor students, and you know, we were like, well, that's you know, like a silly idea. So the miracle that we started to believe in God is amazing considering that but there, there's, there's believing in God, and then there's a different level of becoming a Torah observant Jew. The oh, people, it's a long story. It's, right? long there's, there's, there's a big gap between the two. So after January 10th, 1966, it still took us eight years. <clears throat> I, I mean, that's when I got into all kinds of Abodazara, excuse me, Buddhism, Hinduism, right. Hinduism and uh, Abodazara. And then... At the end of eight years, we found that this is also garnished, but garnished is empty. There's nothing there. And at that exact moment, we met Rebison Young Rice. At that exact moment, when the, we were like, once again, Memtashari Tum, at the bottom, there was nothing there. And that is when we met Rebison Young Rice in Newburgh, New York. And we started learning Torah, and we realized we were everywhere. We have done everything. We've experienced the gashmias of this world. We've eaten whatever. Don't mention it. Not, don't mention <laughs> it. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I, I retract. I don't retract, but I'm not going to say it. Anyway, but there's nothing there. There is nothing there. And when we encountered Torah and Rebbes and Young Rice started teaching us Torah, we realized this is what we've been searching for our entire lives. I want to tell you, Rabbi Hissiger, we went to a school where we met as a school filled with Jews from our background, affluent, brilliant, intellectual, secular, anti-Torah Jews. Today they basically, we try to keep in touch with them. Right. We want to. Mm -hmm. They won't talk to us. We're they the black will, sheep. We are the black sheep. They will literally, go to, if we go to a class reunion, they don't want to see us. They don't want to they see us. They just say wow. a, a curt hello. But I, may I just say that the reason that we didn't go ahead and start to study Judaism and Torah when we started believing in God is that our only experience of Judaism had been our friends' bar mitzvahs, mm -hmm. you know, reform or conservative, and... It was really just a party, given nice check or presents, delicious roast beef, finished, never mm -hmm. went back to school again. So mm -hmm. we said, you know, Judaism, it's materialism. We want more than that. We want a real spiritual meaning and purpose in life. Mm -hmm. I would now, put it, yeah. could I put it a different way? Yeah, I, sure. I have a little different take on that, reflecting my different personality from my wife. Baruch Hashem, the two halves were, I calm work him out down. Well. <laughs> you calm me down. But the reason I was always wanted to separate myself from Torah was that I every yid has a pintle yid. Every Jew has a learned Torah in the womb from the Malach. You know inside, it's true. You know there's a Hashem, and that's why. You want to distance yourself from it because you know in your neshama that once I admit Hashem is real, 
I have to change my life. I'm not the boss anymore. Mm. Hashem is the boss. And I didn't want to, I wouldn't, no, I want to be the boss. I, 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 mean, I mean, nobody's going to tell me what to do on Saturday or what kind of meat to eat or, or, or food to eat. And, 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 what, and, and, but as soon as I realized that everything else is bankrupt, that there's no other way of life that's real, then all of a sudden you want Hashem to run your life and the whole thing goes upside down and then... So what do you think it is while you saw it with such clarity and let's say you're talking about your peers back from your college days. So many people have assimilated. You know, we talk about a spiritual holocaust. 100%. That, and you, you two know it as well as anyone because you speak all over the world <clears throat> to from audiences to different types of audiences. And college audiences. College uh, audiences. Where, right, for Kiruv. And, and the assimilation on, on college campuses is rampant, sure. as you know. Uh, why, why do you think that the, you know, these pentaliyidin are not seeing the light? What, what's holding them back? Is it that they don't want to subjugate, subjugate themselves? To there is something life? called assimilation. <laughs> the paradigm is Mitzrayim. When a Jew is in Gullus, the culture is so powerful as it was in Mitzrayim. We know, that uh, uh, Chazal tell us, that most of the Yidin didn't leave with Moshe Rabbeinu. Just a small minority left with Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Can you, Moshe Rabbeinu, they didn't leave Mitzrayim? Because the culture of Gullus is so strong. And the same thing is true today. The culture of Adam, the world we're living in, the Western culture, is so strong. We grew up, I know what it's like. You, you think it's real. All the Gashmias, this is it. This is real, this is reality. And, and, and these ancient Jewish rules, are, are, they have no relevance to anything. And so people want to live with this false reality and it is so difficult to get out of it, to break out of the culture of Gullus. Did you, did you personally pay a price, family-wise, financially, otherwise, in that transition, losing friends, losing relatives? Very interesting. When we left Cornwall, New York, in 1974 to move to Rebetzin, Rabbi Young Rice's community, the non-Jews in our community said, we're so proud of you, it's so beautiful, you are following your ideals, it's a wonderful thing. And the Jews in the community said, maybe you should consult a psychiatrist. That's what they told us. Did we pay a price? We were nervous at times, but we did not pay any price. Over the years, there has been nothing but bracha. Our parents, who grew up in this totally assimilated world, they didn't know anything about Yiddishkeit either. They were both born in America. Wolf, um, um, my wife's, yeah, three or four of our parents were born in America. And, and, and you would think we would have a spiritual you know, divorce from our parents. The opposite was true. We went out of our way to be close to them. It took a little while. They thought we were 
crazy at first, literally. And there's a passage in the book written by my brother, which is incredible how he thought I went off my rocker when we, started, when we changed our lifestyle. He it's was the, angry. It's in the book. He's angry. He was angry at us. But then our parents saw our family, our children. The children were so respectful to them. The children were so normal. And we went out of our way to be close to our parents. And I would go out, it talks about it in the book, I would go to dinner with my parents mm -hmm. at kosher restaurants. And they would sometimes they would see their own friends there. <laughs> wow. And over the years, it became, we became closer and closer to our parents to the extent that it's miraculous what happened. So there were a few, I'm even going to say dangerous moments over the years. It hasn't been easy. But Hashem held our hand the whole time and sent wonderful shlichim. I'm going to mention Rebel Hanan Zon, the head of the Hebrew Gadisha of Queens. Because of Rabbi Zon, all our parents had kvora. They were all buried according to Jewish law. This was an open miracle. Mm -hmm. Miracle. Oh, and, and over the years, all these things worked out. I think because we tried to be very uh, normal and, and responsible in our relationship with our parents and our friends and so on. And, um, and it worked out. We were speaking about the spiritual holocaust among assimilated Jews. Unfortunately, even within the Frum community, yeah. as the community grows, yeah. and as the world becomes more uh, diverse and tempting, whatever we want to call it, whatever we're going to attribute it to, yeah. but there's a segment alluring, of our youth, really alluring, alluring, right? And there are youngsters who are growing up who have trouble connecting to Yiddishkeit. The exact opposite of you. You grew up irreligious and later, and later ultimately were zeichet to find the truth. And... In our firm community, there's a separate phenomenon. We call it kids at risk, yep. kids in pain, whatever we call it. Yep. Well, I would love to hear your perspective on that based on your yeah. fascinating life story. So I, I just want to point out in answer to the question that Rabbi Yaakov Bender, I think, has a marvelous way of reaching such people because in his school, he has not only the straight learning, but he has a vocational program. And I think that if our community, the from community, could be more open about not pressuring people, you have to be a full-time learner and go to Kolel, because a person can be very, a wonderful Jew, and, and so he's learning in the morning before work, he can be working, you know, so many people say, no, I don't want a working boy. I mean, I think that, that we have to be more um, considerate and thoughtful about people's talents and inclinations and that every there's a place for everyone in in the Torah way and not to pressure you know you have to be a full-time learner and so on because this this is a, I think driving some of mm -hmm. the people away Ruby sure what's your thought on this I mentioned the allure of the culture of Gullus it is incredibly intense we grew up, we grew Excuse me, especially with the technology today mm -hmm. that at the fingertips of the... Of I mean, mm -hmm. people, people... I mean, I'm going to tell you, when I see people davening and looking at their cell phones, I mean, I personally go a little mishuga. I don't 
Not that I scream at them, but I, I, it hurts me so much. It's, it seems to me it's not appropriate, to put it mildly. The allure of the technology of this culture is so incredibly powerful. I'm going to make the comparison once again to Mitzrayim. I think we can understand Mitzrayim when we look at this culture and how incredibly powerful it is. If you were growing up today, both of you, high school students, as friends, and then got married, and you were faced with the same situation today, how different do you think your journey or challenge would have been? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard. It's, 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 hard, it's hard to say. Um, I do want to say, though, I think it's important, that one thing I, I like to talk about, and I, I think it's such a yesod, is that when the culture becomes so powerful, the culture of Gullus, that that is when Hashem takes very strong action. At a certain point, it says uh, the Gemara that before Mashiach, if, if the Jews don't do tshuva, Hashem's going to send an enemy like Haman who's going to make it clear what danger we're in. I do believe we're seeing today in the culture of Edom a collapse of that culture. I think in many ways we are seeing trans anti-Semitism and, and, and a whole chaotic environment, very frightening. I think the culture of Edom is in great danger and I think that we can expect just the way Mitzrayim collapsed and Am Yisroel, the ones who are aware of it, got out with Moshe Rabbeinu and went to Har Sinai. Mm -hmm. I think a similar phenomenon is taking place today in our world. I think if people would open their eyes and see what is happening in the surrounding culture, the dangers, the collapse, the anti-Semitism, the, the chaos, the sickness, the tsuras, the pain, they would realize this culture is not going to survive. The culture that's going to survive, lahavdal elf of those, is the culture of Torah. There's going to come a time when kimitzion teze Torah, varashem yishalayim, it's going to be a new world. Do you find that this message, just like fire and brimstone message, right? That's kind of your I, I must your admit, yes. It's a fire and brimstone. Do you find that that resonates with the average American youth who's assimilated? Or would you say more of what your wife alluded to so a little while ago, of more of the love and concern and the, that, that type of approach? Rabbi Hiska, this is a very amazing question you just asked. I think the answer is one has to be sensitive to whom one is speaking. Each person has a different, you have to gauge your audiences. Some audiences, you have to talk the way my wife did. <laughs> Some audiences <laughs> can take this powerful Maybe that's why you're the perfect peer, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and my wife tells me, listen, no, you can't say that to them. Uh -huh. So, I mean, Ezer Kenegdo, um, and it's true. One has to use one seichel. I, I, I just wrote about it this week. The, the fourth brach in Shmon Esri is das, das. 
we have to use our das, have to use our seichel to figure out how to speak, what to say when, to certain times it's appropriate to speak this way, certain times it's appropriate to speak that way, and it takes a lot of thought. I think the answer is, you know, you have to tailor the message to the, mm -hmm. the recipients. Right, right. When, do you want to when we're speaking to, for example, assimilated college students, this message is not going to be the message. The <laughs> uh -huh. message is our personal story. Uh -huh. It's totally non-threatening. We're not preaching. We're telling our personal experience and giving a message of hope that it's never too late to make an important change in one's life. Here we were, 30 and 31 years old, married 11 years with two children. We totally changed our lives. It's never too late. And to tell a little story that's in the book, uh, to illustrate this also, my father-in-law, who my husband's father, who always had said, I don't believe in any religion. Religion's the cause of all the problems in the world, all the wars, all the problems. And then he read my husband's third book called 2020 Vision. And he loved it. it. It's a novel that takes place in 2020, and it, it, it's, it, it's, it's a novel, and it's filled with inspiring Torah thoughts. So he read it, and he was 104 years old, almost 105. He read it with his own eyes, his own, just reading glasses like anyone else. And my husband used to visit him every day, because at that point, until the age of 99, he used to walk to work every day. But then he had a problem with his uh, legs, then he couldn't. He stayed home. My husband used to visit him every day uh, for all the years that he was at home. He lived, thank God, to be 107 and a half. And my husband visited every day. So my husband would walk in, and there was his father. He's reading the book, 2020 Vision. He read it four times. He was so inspired and excited about it. About it. And guess what? For the first time in his life, after reading that book, he put on tefillin at the age of 105. It is never too late for any person. And what the, the way to reach a person, to reach, as you said, you're asking about a, a assimilated person, they're not going to be able to this fire and brimstone message. They're going to go, what? Help, no. <laughs> is, is the as I said before, the love and the warmth and the speaking from your heart, words from the heart, enter the heart, and, and to tell your personal experiences, and then they identify and they feel it. We spoke once at University of Washington and in uh, uh, Seattle, and a 20-year-old girl came up to me after our, our program, and she said, you know, she'd been thinking it's too late for her, but now she thinks she can do it. Just hearing our experiences, people identify, and Baruch Hashem, and, and then it's, it's like contagious. The story about my father-in-law, 105, putting on tefillin, a college student heard that story at University of Michigan. He woke up the next morning, he said, am I going to wait till I'm 105 to put on tefillin? He called the, the rabbi, Rabbi Foley Eisenberger. He said, can you get me tefillin? And then he got his friends to put on tefillin, and this is it. You can't preach. You can't order people. You can't anything like that. To share the experiences, and it touches people. Great message. Yeah, yeah, and that's the bottom line. That's what talks to people. And you've seen it. 
on the road. You see how people connect to your story. Sure. And this book is going to allow tens of thousands around the world to do the same. I just want to say, add, that also we're not afraid to talk about our own blemishes. All our mistakes, all our struggles, the times we fell and got up, the difficulties. Mm -hmm. I, 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 we have no problem talking. I love that you. I love that you mentioned that because the book allows uh, the reader a peek into your vulnerability. You're vulnerable. That's exactly. You it. talk about your humanness, your, the, the 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 mistakes, like you said, the mistakes you made. And the the obstacles along the journey. It wasn't a smooth journey. People appreciate but that. But that's what makes life colorful, and that's what makes your story so uh, entertaining. May I add one nakuda? Is sure. it okay? Sure. I think my personal opinion is this is one pe reason why Mashiach Ben David comes from David Hamelach, because David Hamelach was not afraid to tell about his. That all the pitfalls that happened to his own, his own troubles, his own, his his own sorrows, he he let it. Devarmin Halev, he told it like it is, and that's why he's Mashiach because everybody can identify with him. He's so real, and people appreciate real. Well, on that note. We appreciate the realness that you've brought to this book. And I do think, like you just said, people are going to read the book. They're going to identify with so many components of your journey back to Yiddishkeit. Even people from, from birth, they're going to read it and they're going to be able to, to identify with those struggles. And really, as they read it, they'll, they'll admire your strength, your courage, your resilience, and the fact that till this day you're still growing and still sharing that message of growth, like you said so beautifully, that it's never too late. There are so many universal messages in this book, and uh, we're very excited that it finally hit the press. So as we, we end, any final message from, from each like of you? I'd like to say, yes, that from people, when they hear our story, when they read our story, uh, get, uh, get to appreciate what they have. They might have taken it for granted, the mm. Torah life, and they see the struggle we went through and that we were out there and there's nothing else in the world and this is it, this Torah is true and, and, and that we had to struggle and they didn't. They appreciate much more and also many times they're inspired to reach out to other Jews who are like we were, who are assimilated and, and don't know anything. So this is from people really, really find that this is a, a very inspirational story for them. Two great messages, thank you. Any, any final word? I, I just like to say, we live in a very tough world right now, full of challenges. Everybody has challenges. There's nobody who doesn't have challenges and serious challenges. So much sorrow in our world. I just like to say we found out in our life Hashem turns everything upside down. I think we are so close right now to the Gula Shalema. I'm not going to make any predictions. That's not my job. <laughs> but we should all know that the Navim Chazal promised us a world that's going to be beautiful, a, a return to Gan Eden, Mikdash, Mashiach ben David, Peace, achtus, we're going to see it. And we should know 
to hang on to that and to, and, and, and to, and, and to daven for it because it's going to happen. My personal feeling is it's not so far off, but it's going to be a beautiful, perfect world where all the tears are wiped away, as, as, uh, as the Navi says, and, and Be'ezus Hashem, we should see it soon in our days. Amen, amen, well, amen. Thank you again to both of you for being here. Absolute pleasure to speak to you. Our privilege. And we look forward to, uh, to the success of this book. Amen, Be'ezus Hashem. Amen.